Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see everyone here and hear the buzz. And I know you're finishing off uh, taking up the offering. Good morning, evening, wherever you're watching this, whatever time you're watching this, those joining online, great to see you. And we're so encouraged by all that God is doing in our church. Just last Sunday, as many of you know, we've been praying for them, but Katie and Ed Stock uh, planted with a team a new church in Christchurch, Summerfield, just a few miles over there. And uh, this church that had been struggling for many, many years, and uh, we sent a team to kind of try and sort of revitalize what God is doing there. And on Sunday, uh, they had the launch. 130 people turned up and filled that building, which was absolutely amazing. And even more encouraging than that, after the service, um, 150 people from the community gathered together for bouncy castles and candy floss and curry. It was just absolutely brilliant to see hope being extended in an area that is in desperate need for it. And and as Tebo was saying, 185 people doing Alpha gathering to explore who is Jesus and is he relevant to me? It's just amazing. And while we're here, there are 100 students meeting somewhere in the Morvans, uh, investing in their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. So the media might say the church is dying, but we see signs of life all over the place. And isn't it good news? And so Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you're doing. We do not take it for granted. And we are so thankful that we get to be a part of your great adventure. Amen. We are looking at what it means to be a family, better together. And today I want to particularly look at what it means for us to become a more diverse church that reflects the heart of God and reflects the city of Birmingham. In Galatians 3, 26, it says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, this phrase that's used again and again in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ, we become one. We become a family, a new humanity. And it's a tragedy, therefore, when divisions and oppression breaks apart that sense of togetherness. One of the great tragedies in our world is when we hurt, we abuse, and we reject one another because of our differences. And particularly throughout history, the differences of skin color has caused so much oppression and sin and pain. We have a racial diversity group that meets to help us think intentionally about how we can continue to grow and being more diverse and more welcoming of different uh, ethnicities and races. And three of our group, um, Cookie, Esther and Gavin, very kindly agreed to be interviewed just to share something of their story. And I know each and every one of our stories are different, but if we have any hope of growing to more of a family, if we want to be better together, an absolute essential thing is to listen. 
to listen and to journey and to better understand what it is like for some people living in Birmingham today. So let's watch this together. Guys, well, thanks so much for giving your time and being with us and, and your contribution over the last couple of years. You've been some of the members of our diversity working group and you've kindly agreed to kind of be part of this Better Together series and just share some personal experiences to just really help us ground kind of what we're looking at and what we're grappling with. Um, and one of the things you've kindly shared to do is just begin by sharing some of your personal experiences of like disunity and racism. Um, so maybe you just want to kick off there. Esther, why don't you go first? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I get a lot of what are you? Like, I remember when I was 21 and I was a teaching assistant in an all-boys school in a rough area and one of the kids that I supported just turned to me and said, Miss, uh, what are you? And I, it was, it had a different dynamic. I was his teaching assistant, I supported him. I was very much in a position where I was meant to be educating him. So I had no problem with going, did you mean what ethnicity am I? And he was like, yeah, 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 that's exactly what I meant. Can you say that again? I said it again, he repeated it. And then I was like, yeah, my mum's white, my dad's from India. And he's like, oh, great, that's great. So, so that was quite a, a, a nice version of how that goes. But um, sometimes it's not as nice or, you know, you do the classic, oh, I'm from Warwickshire. I was born in Suffolk because you, you don't really want to get into it. And then it's a, oh, or of course, like, no, 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 where are you, where are you really from? Um, so yeah, that's that's not nice. Um, I get people's curiosity, but it's yeah, not fun to explain all the time. I mean, I had some pretty nasty experiences when I was in uh, school and growing up. Um, so I went to a pre predominantly white school, and we had this mini school bus. It had like about twenty of us, and I was the only person of colour on that would take the bus. I was normally the last one on it. And I remember the boys in the bus, they would like make monkey noises like when I'd come on um, or like they would make references to me kind of being like from the bush or like, from, you know, like a witch or whatever. And if they had bags, they told me, use your black magic to like jump over it and get a seat. So that was quite like in your face. I think that kind of stuck with me. It played with my mind and my identity a little bit, but also like there was the excuse of they're just boys, like whatever, they're just being bullies. I think as I got older, it became a little bit more difficult when it's like people that you expect better from um, are doing kind of similarly over racist kind of things. So like, for example, um, in a past church experience, like you're setting up at a rehearsal for a band rehearsal and some leadership being like, no, take, there's too many black people stood on the stage, like mix it around or pull this one back and put another one there. So when I started seeing that stuff, it's really painful. And that's kind of like, from there, then you're like, okay, this is not just school mean bullies. This is something that's ingrained in our culture. And how do I fight it? How do I tackle it? Yeah. I know I come from South Africa and I grew up in a racist country. Mm -hmm. I mean, racism, we read in all, in, you know, whatever you want to say about it. We, we knew you were black or you were white. Finish, that's end of. And that's how we grew up. So all the blacks stuck together and all the whites stuck together. And even though my own experiences in Africa, um, I never experienced much of it because we knew who we were and we sort of stuck together. My, my first real major incident of being what I would say is when I came to England, 
Um, the manager I worked for at the time at a prestigious company in motor company in this country. I kept on saying the man was racist towards me. You know, kept on saying, and, and nobody would believe me that he was being racist. All the things he did and, and stuff, uh, to a point where he'd done everything deliberately to get rid of me. I ended up in a tribunal uh, because of that. And I was the one that had to leave work. Something that happened to my mom, um, she was in a meeting room and she was chairing this meeting, like she's a whole director of this meeting. And someone from another organization just came in and was kind of like, this is how you take the notes. Um, and like passed it through her the pen yeah, yeah, yeah. paper <laughs> um, without even saying, you know, hello, who are you? Or how are you? What's your name? And my mum was just livid and tore them apart afterwards. Yeah. But um, it is that thing of just, yeah. you just seen on the surface and it's the, the assumption. It's true. Um, sometimes um, mm. that happens. Like what would you say is some of the la like long lasting impact that you guys are living with because of some of this stuff? I'd say for me, probably the lasting impact is like a kind of underlying feeling of inferiority, True. which I work hard to fight against. And obviously Jesus and just like knowing truth, that really helps. But I do think that in my humanness, there is kind of the residue of there's just something in the air that's kind of told you you're less than or your beneath that I really work hard to not have um, mm -hmm. and to fight against. So I think that's something that would, that's the most annoying thing. I think the experiences for me personally, other people, they might still have trauma from that. Not so much, but it's how it's alters my, altered my thinking of myself. That is really difficult to, to kind of journey. I'd say I always notice how many people of color there are in a room. Like, I just, not, I don't know if other people do that. Yeah, like, I don't know if white people me do too. that. Me yeah, too. well, I mean, I'm, and I'm like going in and going, huh, oh, this is a room full of white people. And just making a note of that. Um, and being aware that I may have to say something because no one else has thought of it. Um, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Like going, okay, if something goes wrong here, I might have to be the one that says something. And so lastly for today, I mean, it might seem like an obvious question on the surface, but I think the reality is everyone has very different answers to this. Um, why do you guys think it is so important that we as a church in particular stand for unity and against racism? I think simply because it's Jesus's heart. And most importantly, people are losing their faith when the church doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think if that doesn't scare people, I don't know what mm -hmm. does. So I just think if this is something that we can do that can help people still believe in a God that we believe in, then that's what we should do. If we truly say we are Christians, one day when we all die and get to heaven, we're going to stand side by side. You're not going to have the Indians on the one corner, the white people on the one corner, those from Nigeria in another corner. No, we're going to stand side by side. I think, um, Essentially, racism is the opposite of the gospel. You know, as, as Cookie said, um, you know, the idea that some people are better than others is just fundamentally anti-gospel. And anything that makes someone feel belittled or not as good as is evil. Um, and, you know, as it says in the book of James, you know, show me faith. You've, you've got to have the deeds with it. You can say what you want in church, but, you know, if, if racism is there, it's 
it's not God. So yeah. So good, guys. Thanks for sharing so honestly and vulnerably. Um, so we've got time for this week, but um, can't wait to hear more next week. Yeah. So grateful for Esther and Cookie and Gavin sharing so vulnerably. And it's, it's a hard listen. When Rachel and I moved the small team to Birmingham 2016 to plant gastry, we rather naively thought we'd throw open the doors and the whole of Birmingham in all its glorious diversity would gather here. And it's only like, okay, someone's laughing already. Uh, it's only a couple of years in, we suddenly looked around and realized that this church was majority white. Everyone pretty much looked and thought like Rachel and I our leadership team, our staff team, those who led worship, those who preached, those who led our small groups were almost exclusively white. And it's one of my greatest, deepest regrets and sadnesses as a leader that I was blind to something that is so precious, that I was blinkered and I failed to value something that is so deeply important to God, and that is the beauty of diversity. And reflecting back, I know that we caused hurt to people who, who didn't feel understood. People began to share sometimes what it felt like for them to be a part of our church. And we were slow to really understand or to bring them into the heart of the community to bring about change. And we were failing to really recognize what it looked like to be a kingdom people in one of the most diverse cities in the whole of the world. And again, for Rachel and I, one of our um, most painful things is to know that there are people who slowly moved on and left Gas Street because ultimately it wasn't a community where they recognized people like them. It wasn't a community where they felt safe, where they felt welcomed or where they felt they belonged. And that's a tragedy. But alongside that, we're so grateful to a number of people, some here today, who stood with us, who loved us enough to challenge us, but also worked hard at working with us to see us change as a community, to grow in becoming a diverse church. And we have seen change. I mean, we've got a long way to go. There's a journey ahead of us still that always will be, but we've taken intentional steps and we've seen change. Just want to give you some of the stats around our diversity, just to be completely transparent. So in May 2022, um, 815 people here took a survey, and these are some of the results. 29% um, of the congregation we have belong to BAME groups. 17% of the staff team belong to BAME groups, as compared to 10% in 2018. So it's still a big journey to go on there. 38% <coughs> of Sunday gathering leaders those who are hosting, leading our services, um, are now BAME, compared to 0% in 2019. You see how bad it was. 23% um, of those serving in gastric teams are BAME, and 36% of gastric groups have BAME leaders. So it's progress, but there's a continued journey ahead of us. And we are now, I'm delighted to say, a church made up of 41 
nations. We have people from Afghanistan, Argentina, Australia, Botswana, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Finland, France, Germany, Ghana, Greece, Honduras, Hong Kong, Hungary, India, Iran, Ireland, Italy, there we go, catching up, Japan, South Korea, Malawi, Malaysia, Netherlands, New Zealand, Nigeria, Norway, Portugal, Romania, Russia, Sierra Leone, Sri Lanka, Switzerland, Tanzania, South Africa, United Kingdom, United States of America, Venezuela, and Zimbabwe. Isn't that amazing? It's going to spice things up a bit. And look, just some stats. These are are, are from the survey. Um, Again, the demographics, see Gastry compared to Birmingham, compared to England and Wales, apologies to Scotland and Northern Ireland, I don't know what happened there, but those in our church who are white, 63.6%, black, African, Caribbean, black, British, it's 17.5%, mixed, multiple ethnic groups, it's 5.8%, Asian and Asian British, it's 7.2%, and in Birmingham, that's 26.6%, so you immediately see, gosh, there is some work thinking, conversations, and prayer that needs to happen for us to welcome and reach more uh, intentionally people of Asian and Asian British backgrounds. And then other is 5.3%. So that just gives you a sense of who we now are as a church. Now, the Bible has so much to say about diversity, about the evil of racism. And one of the tragedies is for so long, in many ways, the church has been quiet on this issue and it's created a vacuum. And so there are so many now secular movements with their voice around what should happen and this whole topic are louder than the voice of the church. And we should always, always first go to the word of God before going to the ways of the world. And as we'll see, God has so much to say about this topic. And if we want to grow, becoming better together, let's start by digging into the Word. And a few things I want to share this morning that we see in Scripture. And the first is this, God loves diversity. He loves it. Look around our creation. It's beautifully glorious. Our maker, this great divine artist, has made this world beautiful and full of wonder and abundance. And the pinnacle of his creation is humanity, you and I, brimming with diversity. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. We are all made in the image of God. Each and every one of us carry his likeness. Just look around. I mean, look at all the different shades and color and tones and shapes and sizes. It's incredible. And this is not a mistake. It's just part of God's genius design. So when we prejudge or hold prejudice towards people who look different to us, whose skin color is different from us, who are born in a different nation to us, we question and we defy God's creation. When we reject, when we mock, when we think less of someone, when we abuse or are harmful towards someone because of their skin color, we are ultimately returning away from God and we reject the brilliance of his creation. So diversity is God's plan, his design. 
But we also see in the kingdom to come, when we will spend eternity worshiping Jesus Christ, there diversity is all around. Revelation 5 verse 9 says this, and they sang a new song saying, singing it to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We will spend eternity together and surrounded all around us, be made up of variety of races and cultures and languages and ethnicities. And I hope to dear God, all those different cuisines. Can you imagine? Whoo, the best of it all. It's gonna be, it is gonna be glory. It is gonna be glory. And we see this picture in the book of Revelation. And when it talks about race and diversity, it's not something to be tolerated. You get this sense that it's something to be celebrated. It's going to bring us joy and life as we celebrate and enjoy one another together, worshiping Jesus Christ. And so we need to learn to celebrate each other now. If you are Nigerian born, living in Birmingham, we celebrate you. If you are from Iran, Farsi speaking, praise the Lord. What a gift you are. I'm white and I'm male and I'm proud to be. And let's not forget, it's okay to be white and male. If your father is Indian and your mother is Irish, we delight in you. We rejoice over you. And as we celebrate one another, we begin to experience and sense the joy, the overwhelming delight of our heavenly Father. That's why God so values unity, because when we unite together with all our difference, we're outworking His original design. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing. Haven't you felt that in the life of our church over the last three years? Hasn't it just become so much more of an exciting, beautiful place to be? Hasn't the sense of joy and connection and hope and deep and learning just gone so much deeper? I know I enjoy Sundays so much more now as we gather together, as we learn from one another. And I'm sure in part it's because we're also experiencing God's delight, looking and seeing His children gathering together as one. God loves diversity. The question is, do we? Do you? How much time are you spending with people who look differently to you? who think differently from you, who's around your table, your social group, who you're learning from, who you're listening to, who you're investing in. One of the things that Rachel and I have been on a journey in is trying to broaden the friendship group, the circle of people who are speaking into our lives to embrace people from different ethnic backgrounds, people of different colors. And we, uh, last autumn, we had the absolute joy of having this outstanding, amazing young man called Tosin from Nigeria live with us for a month. He's part of the Gastric Academy, he needed a room for a month, and we said, come and live with us. And what a gift it was. 
I loved at dinner times just with our kids, just gathering together and hearing about life for Toshin growing up in Nigeria, him telling stories about what it was like moving to sort of the north of England and being a black man in an area that was almost exclusively white. I'll never forget the dinner where he began in his such understated way explaining some of the racist attitudes and behavior and abuse he'd experienced over the last weeks that's a place where he worked um, to earn some money and my kids just being shocked and horrified. Tosin being part of our family for a month deeply enriched our family. It was a complete gift. And so I challenge you, if the only people around you look like you, eat the same foods as you, think like you, then you're missing out. You're missing out. God loves diversity. Second thing is racism cuts against the heart of God and it breaks the heart of God. I know, see why you're stating that's so obvious, but we do need to continually state this. When we make assumptions on people based on the color of their skin or their culture or their social economic positioning, we sin. James 2 verse 9 says this, if you treat people according to their outward appearance, you are guilty of sin and the law condemns you as a lawbreaker. You know, this is not a topic we can be apathetic about. This is not something we can kind of ignore. Well, it's not my problem. This is something we all need to care about. This is something we should all get angry and upset about. We should all be making a stand wherever we see injustice or racist behavior in our places of work, our communities and in our church. And I know for the majority of us here, less and less, but a whole bunch of us perhaps have never really experienced what it is like to be judged, to be marginalized, to be mocked because of the color of your skin. You know, it broke my heart watching that. Cookie, who's our church warden, this amazing, incredible, outstanding young woman, say that because of the abuse that has come her way, in her school work and in the church, it means at times it's led to an underlying feeling of inferiority. Her words, underlying feeling of inferiority that she has to fight against. Don't you see? That's the evil of racism, where someone feels like they're being diminished they're carrying wounds. There are limits placed over them. And that is why it breaks the heart of God. And that's why it should break our hearts too. And we need the Spirit of God to shine a light on each and every one of us. Where are we holding prejudice towards another? And it's not simply necessarily black v. white. There's different ethnicities where there's tension and um, People are against one another and fighting because of difference of skin color. And we need to say, God, please, where there is, uh, I think, less of people because of where they're born or their skin color, where I hold a grudge or I, 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 I harbor anger in my heart, Lord, please weed it out. Forgive me. I don't want to tolerate and live and accept patterns of behavior that go against your design and your heart. And I think God will do that. Third thing I want to say as we close. This is so important because the church is the hope of the world. 
The church, empowered by the Spirit of Christ, is the hope of the world. And we know no law will ever turn a racist to a lover. No government can ever fix this problem. It is only the Spirit of God in each and every one of us, drawing us and centering us on Jesus Christ that gives us what we need to love and celebrate and honour one another. And the great hope for the world is the love of Jesus Christ outworked and demonstrated in a people called the church that overflows into our towns and our cities and our places of work, our communities, our places of study, our online social media platforms. And it communicates that there is a different way. There is a better way in following Jesus Christ. That's why church divided is a tragedy because we become an irrelevance to the world. Who wants to be a part of something divided? And when the church fails to hold together, when we fail to love one another, particularly around race, then I think we lose our prophetic voice. We lose our prophetic voice. We fail to communicate how Jesus Christ draws everyone together. You know, when Jesus came to walk on the earth and die on a cross, he came to make a way so that the great divide between a perfect, holy other God and a sinful, broken mess of a human kind people uh, could be connected together again, that we could boldly approach Jesus, God, and spend time in his presence. But in healing the divide between humanity and God, Jesus also made a way, empowered us to pursue healing of the divides between one another. And that's what the church is called to be. And the way it happens is when we recognize our ultimate identity. Because our ultimate identity is in Christ. It's not in your nationality. It's not in your sexuality. It's not in your race. It's not in your gender. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, your ultimate, your primary identity is as a son and a daughter of the King. Colossians 3 verse 11 says this, in this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters and he's equally available to all. So my identity is not primarily, first and foremost, white, male, heterosexual, British. My primary identity is God's chosen, dearly beloved son. And you are also God's chosen, dearly beloved sons and daughters. And so that means that unites us more than anything else that the world can offer. Pastor in America, God called Glenn Packiam, says this, the gospel takes our differences and our different ways of belonging and gives us a truer identity, a deeper sense of belonging that somehow fits together people who otherwise would not be together. And so it doesn't mean we forget where we're born or color of our skin or nationality. You know, we celebrate, we enjoy those things, we identify with those things. And let's do away with any nonsense about, you know, there's no color. I don't see color. Well, then you've got a problem because there is color. 
kind of idiotic teaching is that? No, no, no. We celebrate our color. We celebrate our difference, our cultures, our cuisines, our story, our history. But ultimately, there's a greater narrative, and that is this, that we were dead to sin and we are now alive in Christ and we will spend eternity together as the people of God. And so if we're going to chase after this, two final very quick things, then we're going to take communion. For some of us, we need to repent. We need to recognize where are there things in our lives where we have prejudged people. For some of us, where have there been stereotypes that you've accepted, that you've bought into, that just limit people, that have been put on you, not ever by God or the Scriptures, but by the world? We need to ask God, if there's subtle forms of racism in my heart, maybe perhaps forms of unconscious bias, whatever it is, Lord, weed it out, deal with it. I wanna be pure. I wanna see my brothers and sisters as you've seen them. But secondly, for others, it's the pathway of forgiveness, where you've been wronged, where you've been hurt, where you've been abused, letting go of offense. It's easy for me to say that. For some of you here, that's extraordinarily hard. But forgiveness is not an optional extra in the gospel. That's why cancel culture is so wrong. The idea that someone could be cancelled forever because of a bad mistake. The gospel is that the worst of sinners can be given a fresh new slate. Our story isn't a redemptive one. There's no redemption in council culture. And that doesn't mean people need to be held to account. People need to be um, challenged and confronted when evil or wrong behavior is happening. But for some, if we're going to be a family, at times along the journey, we're going to have to forgive one another. And as we do, God begins to build this beautiful community that becomes so attractive to the world. It does something that the world just cannot do however many millions of monies they throw advertising, however many rallies they cause together. It's only Jesus Christ that can unite a people to truly love, enjoy, and celebrate one another. That when one suffers, we all suffer. When one is wronged, we don't say, not my problem. Because the gospel again, it says, your problem becomes my problem. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.